This episode is brought to you in part by HarperCollins Leadership, publisher of Be the Unicorn, 12 Data-Driven Habits That Separate the Best Leaders from the Rest, written and narrated by William Vanderblumen. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Before beginning this week's episode, I do want to advise caution as this episode includes details of gun violence and may not be appropriate for young ears. Welcome to episode 88 of the Grace Enough podcast. This week, I sit down with Taylor Schumann. On a spring day in 2013, Taylor was at work when a gunman walked in and opened fire. Today, she shares about the shooting, the long work of healing and trauma recovery, her beliefs about gun reform, how she feels about thoughts and prayers, and her faith in Jesus. Before we begin our conversation, I want to ask if you knew Grace Enough now has merchandise you can purchase to help keep the podcast going. You can shop the merchandise at graceenoughpodcast.com backslash swag. Again, that's graceenoughpodcast.com backslash swag. Now, on to episode 88 with Taylor Schumann, the other side of surviving a school shooting. Good morning, Taylor, and welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Go ahead and tell everyone a little bit about you and your family and a little bit about what you do. Okay, well, I am Taylor Schumann, and um, I'm married, and I have um, one child, Henry. He's almost two, and we live in Charleston, South Carolina, and um, I'm a writer, and I'm working on my first book, and I'm also uh, a gun reform activist, so that's kind of what I do for work. Yeah, and how is your book coming along? Like, do you you all have the published date set? Yes, it's coming out um, next June, so June 2021. Uh, the first draft is done, and we're awesome. just getting into um, edits, so uh, that should be fun. But yeah, <laughs> things are kind of rolling along uh, pretty quickly, so it's exciting. I know it seems like June 2021 is so far away, but the reality is it's really not. It's really not. It's crazy when I really think about it. Right. I'm like, oh. That's soon. I know, right? When you think about like, I have to have everything done. Like that's the time when it's absolutely 100% complete. It totally changes the game. Yes, for sure. For sure. Well, before we truly dive fully into your story and what really made you a gun reform activist, tell me a little bit about your journey with Jesus. How did you come to know him? And just a little bit about your faith walk. Yeah, um, well, I really grew up in church. Um, my family always went to church. Uh, you know, we were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, that kind of thing. Um, so I came to know the Lord at a really young age and I'm really grateful that it was always a part of my life through high school and and college, um, and my young adult life. Um, just always been, uh, really connected to the church and, and to the Lord. So yeah, that's, that's it. Pretty, yeah, pretty basic. But yeah, I'm just, I'm just thankful that the Lord's always been, you know, part of me, part of my life. That's right. Um, well, take us back to that day in 2013 and share with our listeners what happened on that day and, you know, just how your life was really changed as a result. Yeah. Um, so in 2013, I was working at a community college um, in Southwest Virginia, 
I worked uh, in the front desk area as an administrative assistant and um, a student came in with a shotgun um, and I was kind of facing away from the door, um, but he had pointed it at the back of my head and tried to shoot uh, a couple of times, but was unable to get the safety off the gun. So um, he wasn't able to fire, which gave me time to kind of run into a closet area where we ha had like office supplies and that kind of stuff. Um, and I was able to shut the door behind me um, and he fired through the door and the bullet went through my left hand. It was one of those real thick fireproof doors. So the door really took a lot of the bullet for me, but the door kind of exploded and I ended up with a good bit of shrapnel from the door in my chest and my eye. And I had to hide in the closet for about five minutes. Um, he attempted to shoot through the door a second time but it missed me. Um, and you know, one of the really scary parts of it was that I couldn't lock the door from the inside. I had a key, but it was out at my desk. So I was kind of just waiting and I thought for sure he was going to try to come through the door. Um, mm. but he didn't. And one other student was wounded, um, and she survived as well. And the shooting was actually stopped by an off duty security guard who, heard about the shooting on the radio, um, on the police scanner while he was, um, driving uh, around with his wife and he just came to the school and, um, was able to stop the shooter, um, which I'm probably saved my life and, and many other lives as well. So I was taken to the hospital and I had uh, my first major surgery that day. And after that, I had three more surgeries over the course of a year, a year of occupational therapy for my hand, a lot of counseling, still do that now. Ultimately, I lost about 80% use of my left hand. So today, I still deal with a good bit of chronic pain, um, some nerve damage from where um, one of my nerve lines was severed. But, you know, I regained about 20% use of my hand, which was a lot more than we were anticipating, a lot more than the doctors were anticipating. So I'm really fortunate to still have my hand and to yeah. still be able to use it a little bit. And, you know, now it's, it's kind of figuring out how to compensate for that, raising a toddler That's and right. doing all the things that, uh, you know, come along with life. And I think I probably didn't give my hands much thought before this happened to me. And, and you don't really realize, you know, what's lost when you, when you lose a lot of your physical abilities like that. Um, but yeah, I, over the years, as I got more involved in learning about gun violence in our country and how gun laws work and the ones we have that don't work and the ones that we probably need that we don't have, um, and just getting to know a lot of survivors, um, mm -hmm. in, in the communities I'm a part of and hearing their stories and hearing the stories from family members who've lost loved ones to gun violence. You know, I lost a friend years after what happened to me, I lost another friend to gun violence. So, um, after just kind of becoming such a part of this community and seeing the suffering and the pain and just the trauma that just permeates through communities and ripples out um, into families and communities and just all the pain that's caused. I just really started taking a hard look at what I believed about guns and, and my politics too, since those two can 
tend to be pretty interwoven. Um, and it just led me to doing work for gun reform. And so I do a lot of educational stuff and, and that'll be um, a big part of my book that's coming out next year. Yeah. Well, if I can dig a little bit, and if not, you know, please just say we're moving on. But if you go back to that time, just a few questions. Were you in the office, like in the front office by yourself when this gentleman came in? Uh, So there are actually two other people with me. My, I would typically be working with a coworker um, and she had taken her lunch break uh, right before he came in, I was supposed to take mine, but we decided to switch maybe like 10 minutes before. So she's actually one of the first people that called 911 because she was sitting out in her car um, in the parking lot and saw him come in. But I was sitting at the desk with my boss and um, an IT guy that was there working on my computer. So I was kind of facing away from the door when he came right. in, but I saw my boss's face when she saw him and she just started screaming no, no. And I turned around and saw him. Um, they were able to run away into another room, um, but I just couldn't get out from behind the desk. So that's how I ended up in the closet, uh, in the, in the closet alone. Yeah. Yeah. And you said at, at this, in this incident, it was just you and another person who were wounded, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord that um, this off-duty officer was able to get there so quickly because you just never know how quick the turnaround is going to be on that. Yeah. And, you know, in the moment I, afterwards, I couldn't believe that it had only been five minutes. I remember asking mm. like, how long was I in there? And it, you know, feels like hours when, um, you don't know if you're going to live or die or what's going on outside because all I could hear were gunshots and I didn't know, you know, it was like every shot I heard, I was thinking, is that someone, you know, yes. what's, Yes. Is that another person? Yeah. Is someone getting shot every single time? Um, and, and really it, he could have killed a lot of people, a lot of people, um, with what he'd planned. He had tried to block the door with his car, um, so that people wouldn't be able to get out, but thankfully he didn't pull the car up far enough. So it was really a lot of little things that had they gone in a different way. Um, Mm. you know, the whole day could have been different for a lot of people, but yeah, thankfully it was it was two of us and and not more. Yes. Well, and so the shooter was he arrested immediately on scene? He was. Yep, arrested right there. And actually, when they took me out of the building, um, they kind of laid me down on the sidewalk um, while we waited for the ambulance to arrive, and they were checking me over for wounds because they were asking, "Were you shot anywhere else?" And I was in such shock and. Um, without being too graphic, there was just a lot of blood and I was kind of unsure. I was like, I really, I remember saying, I really don't know. And they laid me down. And when I looked over to the side of me, uh, the shooter was laying on the sidewalk, uh, not too far from me. And the police officers were putting handcuffs on him. So yeah, he was taken into custody right away and charged. And um, the court stuff took about a year, well, a little over a year to complete but ultimately, he was sentenced to um, 68 years um, in prison, but he'll end up serving probably about 40 um, because mm-hmm. the judge suspended half of his sentence. Wow. So, yeah. So it, it's weird. Occasionally, I'll get, like, text messages if they move him to alert me where he is and, you know, little things like that that you just 
you don't know, you know, until you're in that kind of situation, how all that stuff works. So it's always a bit surreal. Well, Um, and I would assume that that can be very triggering. Oh, certainly. And so then that's why when I say I don't want to push too much, you know, only what you're comfortable with is because I mean, anybody who knows anything about how triggers work, they come on pretty unexpected at times, like all of a sudden, there's this wave of emotion. And you're like, Whoa, what just set that off? Oh, Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I do want to ask, you know, during that first year, while he was in trial, I'm assuming at this point, you're still going through all these surgeries. Mm -hmm. But did you have to go and testify as well? So thankfully, um, it was all caught on security camera footage. So there wasn't a lot of questions about who had done it. Um, And he ended up pleading guilty pretty early on. So we didn't have to go through a traditional trial. Um, What we had were hearings um, where they would present all the evidence, kind of go through um, just all the information that they had. And then we had a sentencing hearing. Um, So I spoke at the sentencing hearing and gave what's called a victim impact statement. The other survivor did as well. Some people spoke on his behalf. Um, We heard from his, some family members, from the psychologist that was treating him um, while he was in prison. And then uh, a lot of my family members submitted their victim impact statements to the court as well. And then there was a, a sentencing. So there were a lot of like court things that I did have to go to, but thankfully I, I did feel a lot of pressure giving that statement to say all the right things and, you know, make sure I was giving it the gravity that it, it had in my life, but I didn't, feel that tremendous pressure to, I don't know, make sure he was Yeah, there was guilty. no doubt that he was guilty. Yes. That was not what yes. was in question where you're having to get up and tell your whole story wondering if he's going to be convicted, which is just exactly. a whole nother. Yes. Oh, I, my goodness. Yeah. I cannot imagine that situation. Yeah. And it, and it was too, I remember always trying to keep in mind that no matter how hard it was and that burden that I felt it was also, um, I don't know the right word, but it was also kind of a gift as well because a lot of people in my situation that have been in a shooting don't get that day in court at all. Um, a lot of times those situations end with the person taking their own life or someone else doing it, you know, the police doing it, and they don't get to go to court and talk about how it's impacted their life mm. and their family. And, and I did, I, I got to see that happen. And no matter how it ended, you know, I still got my day. Um, so I always tried to remember that too. And, uh, you know, this happened really close to Virginia tech where I went to college and my husband did. And, and, you know, none of those people got that day. And, and that was right. always kind of on my mind as well. So yeah, just a lot of, a lot of facets to it, but yeah. Well, and in that month and year following, what were some of just the hardest things that you had to face? You know, I've read a bit of your story and I know, you know, if you can just talk to us about the media sharing and some, just some of those triggers and just some of the really hard parts of those, that first year afterwards. Yeah. So one of the first things I really remember was waking up in the hospital the next day and, you know, I hadn't. I had hardly slept the night before. I was so scared to even just close my eyes. Um, but I, I remember waking up and 
you know, hospital staff had brought like some breakfast uh, to my bed and on the tray was a newspaper that they'd brought with breakfast and we kind of flipped it over and his face was just this massive picture on the front cover of the newspaper. And then, you know, right next to it were really small pictures of me and the other girl that they had taken from my Facebook page and like cropped my husband out and put my picture in the paper. And, you know, I just lost it. Like, and that was kind of the first moment I thought, oh, this is, this is happening. Like, this is Mm. a, a whole thing. Like, this is happening to me. I'm one of these people now. And, you know, I remember seeing it scroll across the news ticker on Fox News and CNN and all these places. And it was just so surreal. Um, and that's kind of when I realized, like, oh, this is going to last a long time. You know, I didn't do a lot of news interviews in the beginning. Um, I was asked to, but I knew I wasn't ready to talk about you know, the gun aspect of it. Um, I wasn't really ready to talk about any of it, but I, I for sure wasn't ready to talk about that. And I kind of, I'd seen these events happen and I kind of knew that's where some of these conversations were headed and I just wasn't ready. So I ultimately waited about probably about a year to do my first TV interview. And by that point I had gotten to know some people locally at, at, at the news and, and then found some reporters that I really trusted to do that stuff. But um, you know, the hard stuff really, just the emotional toll it took on me, the nightmares, um, the fear, just, I felt like I was constantly living in fear. Um, a lot of PTSD, um, a lot of flashbacks, like you were saying, a lot of triggers and just, you know, now, you know, seven years later or yeah, seven years yeah. later, yeah, what year um, are we in again? Oh, yes, it's the year that never ends, 2020, yeah. right? Seven years later, um, I I've, I have a pretty good handle on the things that I know are, are going to yeah. bring bring things up, those triggers. But back then, I didn't. I was still learning. And, you know, s- you know the smells would take me back. Oh, and wow. Just thinking of a song or even, you know, I had been to Starbucks that morning, so... I had some associations with Starbucks and just, it happened so close to where I live, you know, there's just a lot. Um, and the pain, um, I was just in extreme amounts of pain on a lot of medicine. We had a lot of trouble getting my pain, uh, levels minimized. Mm. We also got married about six weeks after it happened. Wow. Um, and for a while, we really didn't know, like, are we going to be able to have this wedding? You know, how are we going to do this? And thankfully, we were able to pull it off. But that's one of those things, like, I was on a, admittedly on a lot of pain medication <laughs> and still had, uh, you know, metal pins sticking out of my hand. And I was in a, a, a brace and a sling. And so those memories, too, you know, even those good things that happen right. a lot of times are tainted by the, the really hard things that were happening at the same time. Yeah. Um, and just, a, you know, it was a, a year of that, of trying to recover a little bit at a time and then finding out I needed another surgery. So going kind of right back to that place of vulnerability and pain and hoping it would work and then finding out it didn't work and, you know, we need to try something else and going into occupational therapy three times a week and knowing mm-hmm. It was just going to be painful and I was going to have to work really hard Um, and just always kind of being in that mindset of like, how bad is this going to be? Like, how painful is this going to be? And 
every, you know, sharp of pain in my hand, you know, all those things just, it's all associated with that day with the shooting. So it's really hard to move on when you're just constantly being bombarded with reminders of what happened to you. Yes. Yeah. So just a lot of, a lot of struggles. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and something, you know, the first time that I really came across your story was actually when I read an article in Christianity Today. And I want to talk about that a little bit because it was very powerful and certainly something that should make believers think. And so you wrote in that article, I have a complicated relationship with thoughts and prayers. And I told, I don't totally get that in the way that <laughs> you get that. But I understand that sentence. And so expound on that a little bit and why, you know, you feel that way because of your personal experience. Yeah. So the relationship with that phrase is complicated because I believe in prayer so deeply. And after what happened to me, you know, I got through it because of the Lord, but also because of you know, hundreds of people praying for me around the world, sending me cards, sending me encouragement, and just praying me through these really dark days. And I believe that with my whole heart, with mm-hmm. everything that's in me, that um, prayer is effective and it works. That to say, after these events happen, these mass shootings that we hear about on the news, and um, after these things happen, we hear this refrain, you know, we're offering thoughts and prayers and good please pray, please send your prayers. But I see that used and twisted into um, kind of an excuse to stop there. And that's what I have a problem with. Um, Prayer needs to be the starting point, not the ending Mm -hmm. um, for our action after these types of events. And so I have have no problem with uh, offering of of prayer and genuine prayer. Um, But I think we can do more. And I don't think prayer should be used as an excuse to not do what we can and not to um, follow that prayer with action because, um, you know, God has given us the ability to pray to him and to come to him in prayer. And at the same time, God has given us hands and feet and resources to, to do things here on earth. Um, and, and so I think that's important. So that's why I say I have a complicated relationship. I think a lot of people that do um, kind of gun reform work or any any kind of activism work um, get painted with this brush of like we hate thoughts and prayers um, or like we think it's meaningless and, and it's really not true. It's just that we don't want that to be the, the period on the sentence. We got to keep going. Like, let's start with prayer and then let's do the work and, and figure out what we can do. Well, and isn't part of prayer asking God, our Father, like, what can we do to be an active voice in this matter? Yes. Whatever absolutely. the matter is. Absolutely. Yeah. If we're, if we're just praying in the aftermath, you know, for comfort for these people and, uh, you know, God to work in their lives, like those are great prayers. But if we're not praying for what you're saying, if we're not asking God to move and to use us and to show us what we can do, um, then, then what are we really doing? We're, we're just waiting until the next time. And, um, I just got to a place where that just wasn't okay with me anymore. I wasn't okay with, um, sitting and, and just waiting until the next time. And it, it felt, it started to feel a bit empty to me. Mm-hmm. Well, something that I found interesting too, is it's like, we can 
oftentimes pray for, you know, that person to be comforted and for God to use the situation. But yeah, when God may be using the situation for reform, be it gun reform or something else, we're quick to be like, whoa, um, I can't ascribe that to God maybe answering my prayer. Yes. <laughs> Do you know what yeah, I'm saying? <laughs> absolutely. And I think, you know, I feel like I've experienced that a little bit as well. I mean, I'm certainly surrounded by a lot of people who don't necessarily support yeah. everything I do um, with this work and, and they love me and they prayed for me and they were praying that God would use me and my story for good in the world. And I was certainly hoping for that as well. But I think this this way he's using me is probably not what everyone expected and probably kind of into that area of what you were saying, well, oh, that's not what I meant. Yeah, <laughs> when, like, you know, I wanted I God to use you, but... I'm not really acknowledging that maybe he's answering my prayer yes, contrary yeah, to what my political affiliation and belief yes. is. And and I and I went through that myself, you know. I, Absolutely. I think I saw myself, you know, oh, maybe I could like give my testimony at like women's conferences and, you know, talk about what God did and, um, you know, bring people to the Lord. And, and that's that's awesome. And if I do get to do that, then that's great. And so when I'm getting like yelled at online for posting something about gun reform, that's not really what I imagined. Absolutely. When, you know, I started that work. So I get it. It's, you just never know. You just never know what God's going to do. So. Well, yeah. And I mean, even just to say a little bit more about the thoughts and prayers thing. Yeah. If you, I mean, I want to challenge people like to actually really be doing the praying too. Don't just use oh, that yeah. line, like you said as that excuse of, I don't really know what else to say. So yeah. I'm just going to say this. Um, so if you're saying my thoughts and my prayers are with you, then actually pray. Yes. Yeah. It's not just something to say. And if you really believe in prayer, I think it, it should bother us like that prayer can be used like that. Yes. Know? I completely agree with that. Well, you know, you are, and we've already talked about this a little bit, that you're you're passionate about holding, you know, the American Christian church accountable to their pro-life claims. Yeah. And I have wrestled through this in the last three years in ways that I never thought that I would. Yeah. And not like you, not the same, but have definitely received some intense pushback on how my pro-life ideas have changed. And so, you know, how in your experience does the, these pro-life claims really involve gun form, reform or accountability, however you want to phrase it? Sure. I mean, you know, I often hear people say, you know, we're pro-life womb to tomb. Mm -hmm. and And I think that's true here with... Um, with this topic as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, gun violence, if you live in an area that isn't super affected by this problem, you might not know the full extent. If all you hear about is um, the occasional mass shooting on TV, you probably don't know that 40,000 people a year die as a result of gun violence. Um, you probably don't know about all the little kids that just find guns sitting around their homes and accidentally shoot themselves or someone else. Um, or, you know, people that get convicted of domestic violence that never have to turn their weapons in. You probably don't know about all these things. And these are 
vulnerable people, children, women, you know, vulnerable people in our communities, the underserved, the underprivileged people, um, you know, communities, people of color are disproportionately affected by, by gun violence. And, you know, when we look at the history, we find that we kind of meant for that to happen. We kind of tried to push people into the communities where um, we could isolate the violence and not really have to deal with it. And when I think about all these things, I see this suffering and how it permeates into communities and generations um, of kids you know, who grew up seeing people gunned down in their streets and kids who go through lockdown drills at, sc- at school and who are, you know, terrified you know, the financial cost of gun violence, too. We spend billions of dollars of taxpayer money um, on this problem every year. So if you don't feel affected by it, you are. And this pain and suffering, it needs to be considered when we look at at our pro-life ethic, because people are dying and people are hurting. And if we say we care about the most vulnerable and want to defend their their right to life, then that needs to extend into the full life. And we can't say we care about, we're pro-life people all around if we don't care about this thing, this epidemic that is taking thousands and thousands of lives every year. Um, Especially when we kind of tend to not only really work to end gun violence, but we also, if you you know, or an American Christian and you may be a Republican or conservative, then that comes with very pro-gun ideals. So not only are we saying, well, we we can't really solve this problem, we're not going to try to solve this problem, but we are going to support the very thing that is causing the problem. And I think we we got to take a hard look at that if we're really going to call ourselves pro-life people, because I was super involved in the pro-life movement. I worked for a year um, as um, at a crisis pregnancy center in college. Um, it's a cause very dear to my heart. And then after this happened to me and I started, you know, really learning about gun violence, I just thought, you know, my life is important too. And all these lives are important too. And where are the, Christians out here fighting for this, fighting Mm. for these lives. And yeah, I just, and there are a lot of issues that, you know, we could, we could kind of put under that banner too. And, and so I think we've just got to take a look at what do we mean when we're say, when we say we're pro-life and how far do we want to take that? Yeah. I mean, and when I want my listeners to know, like when I say this is something that I it's a continual wrestling intention for me of, yeah. you know, I know where I fall. And sadly, what, if we're talking politics, neither party fully encompasses where I fall. Yeah, yeah. And that is just a struggle. And so my challenge to people in general, no matter where you are, is to just think through it all. Don't mm-hmm. let one topic You know, I mean, like, for example, pro-life, when we think about it, we just think about unborn babies. Well, there's just a Mm -hmm. lot more to that. Yeah. Yeah. Are you saying you're anti-abortion or are we saying we're pro-life and and what do those things mean? And yeah, I mean, it's hard. And I think, you know, especially this year coming up with an election, there are so many people that fall into that. And 
you know, more often now I'm seeing people saying like, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, then that's kind of the place we're in. Um, you know, if we're incredibly comfortable in either side, then we're probably not, um, where we should be. Mm-hmm. It should be hard and it stinks that it's hard. It, you know, I, I, I wish there was just a perfect place for all of us to end up, but it's okay. I think we need to normalize that it's okay to struggle with it. Um, it's okay to not know all the time mm-hmm. where you land. Mm-hmm. Um, that's okay. Like we have to normalize that it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to change our minds. Mm-hmm. It's okay to say, Hey, I didn't know that before. And I know this now and I'm, I'm going to change my mind. I'm here now. Mm-hmm. Um, that's okay. And especially as followers of Jesus, you know, we're constantly asking God to renew our minds and to reveal things to us um, and to give us wisdom and discernment. And so I think like being in that posture of just letting God open our eyes to things um, to, you know, break our hearts for what breaks his heart and to kind of let him lead us and, and to understand that like, we're probably never going to be fully comfortable on either side mm-hmm. of the aisle. And that's okay. Um, right. Because they're not, um, we don't live in a theocracy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. you're never going to be like, well, like you even you know said earlier, if you're that 100% confident in either side and you're a Christ follower, yeah, you may want to take a look at that. Yeah. Because we, we aren't a theocracy. Yeah. And I saw a thing, I guess it was on Instagram a few months ago that was saying, you know, voting is not like getting married. Voting is like taking the bus. And if there isn't a bus that's going to the exact location you need to go, you don't not take the bus. You mm. just pick the bus that's going to the closest spot to where you need to go. Mm. Um and then, you know, you work to get where you want to go. Mm, that's um, a good and that one. was, yeah, that was really helpful to me. And I've, I've used that with other people. And, and I think that's a good way uh, to think of it kind of in this time <laughs> that we're living in right now. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's okay that it's hard. It's okay that it's not easy. You don't have to be 100% sure of everything all the time. That's exhausting. That like, is exhausting to just try yeah. to get there. Well, for yeah. those listening, and I know there will be several of my listeners who they're just tempted to stop. They're just tempted. All, I mean, they may have already stopped. Been like, yeah. I'm, I'm turning it off. Um, yeah. Or, you know, we get tempted to just look away because it feels too much to deal with yeah. all the things or, you know, to launch into all those. But what about this? But what about that? Um, when it comes along, you know, we're talking about gun reform and activism. What would you like to share with them? Like, what would you like to say to them to just consider a different view? Yeah, Um you know, I think a good starting place, take politics out of it for a second, take um, kind of our American ideals out of it, you know, our, our rights, those kind of things. Take all that out of it and just look at uh, the topic of gun violence and the effects that it's having and the pain it's causing um, and guns in general. If all you were doing was looking at this through the lens of being a follower of Jesus, how would you feel about it? What would you think about it? You know, if if we didn't have to say, well, this, this is a constitutional right. 
Uh, if we didn't have to say, well, well, this is this is my right. I have this freedom. Um, our country has this freedom. If we didn't have to consider all those things, just take it down to its very basic level. Um, you know, is this causing suffering? Can I be a, a balm to the suffering? Could I be used to um, to help reduce this? Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of sit with that for a little while. You know, not to be too cliche, but like, what would Jesus do? Like, what would Jesus do if he was on earth and was witness to this horrible epidemic of gun violence in our country? Um, and and then kind of go from there. And then obviously, you know, eventually you have to enter into the politics because that's the world we live in. That's how things work. Um, but if you just strip it down, I think that's a better entry point. Um, because I do think even when I talk to people, it's automatically, well, I'm not going to vote for a Democrat. I'm not going to vote for that. I can't. And then the conversation kind of stops because that's all, that's what they feel there is, but there's more and there's more that can be done. So if we can just find a a better entry point to say, if my number one priority in life is to be a follower of the Lord um, and to believe what he says, what the Bible says, then what does that mean for gun violence? How can I take that worldview onto this? Um, and just start start there, start there and, and see where the Lord leads you. And then, you know, you can start learning, start researching, just try to have an open mind um, from that perspective. And the other thing I'll say is that it's hard. It's, it's really hard to reconsider something that you have always believed or have always known. You know, I think even now I can fall into the temptation of talking about it like, it should just be easy to change your mind and to join my side um, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. But what I try to tell people is that I went through all this too. Um, you know, yeah. my opinions have drastically changed and it wasn't just because I got shot. It was years after that. Um, you know, the wheels were were turning in my mind and my heart was changing, but it wasn't a an automatic flip of the switch. Um, and it's come with a cost to me, like it's come with a cost for a lot of people. You know, it, it can affect your relationships and, and it can be hard. So I'm not out here saying that it's going to be easy and you should just automatically do it because it's so easy. It's hard and it's okay to acknowledge that it's hard. Yeah. Well, Taylor, as we begin to close out here, um, if anyone is listening who just really wants to learn more and follow you along and, and you know, know when your book comes out and all of those yeah. things, where can they find you? Yeah, um, all my links to my social media and my writing are on my website, taylorschumann.com, and we'll have all the book stuff there as well. I do most of my uh, gun stuff on Twitter, um, occasionally on Instagram, and then I also have a newsletter that comes out each month called Bullet Points and try to cover a different topic every month, um, and it always includes some resources to information or, you know, other, other ways to learn and to get involved, um, there. So I think that's a, that was meant to be kind of a intro to gun violence, gun reform kind of thing. So I think that's a great place to start. Well, and I always like to tell people too, when someone has a name that's even slightly complicated, she says, Taylor (laughs) Schumann, it's S-C-H-U-M-A-N-N. And so I'll make sure that I link that in the show notes too. But (laughs) it's amazing how many times people are like, wait, what did they say? I'm like, I know, I know. It's all right here. Yes. With all the M's and the N's, it can be a little confusing. That's right. That is how it's 
spelled. Well, Taylor, thank you so much for being here today. And I'm grateful for your voice. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was really great to talk to you today. I want to take a moment and thank each of you for listening to the podcast each week. I hope through these conversations, your faith, your hope, and your love for Jesus and others is encouraged and built up. As we close out, I want to remind you to visit graceenoughpodcast.com backslash swag to purchase Grace Enough merchandise. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.